children ages three through kindergarten um, are welcome out these side doors for Children's Church. And I'm going to ask the rest of you to open your Bibles to the uh, to the last three verses of the Old Testament. Um, we're looking at the, the final verses, the concluding verses of Malachi. And, uh, and as you turn in there, um, even before reading them, how would you guess or how would you write the end of the Old Testament if you were to wrap up everything that God has said, you know, from Genesis to Malachi, and if you wanted to you know, get uh, everybody ready for what is to come. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, when I was uh, 18 years old, roughly, and a brand new Christian, I, di- I didn't know my Bible. I-, I didn't have a real idea of what the Bible was about. And I can remember uh, the, f- the first semester of my freshman year at JMU, um, I, was, I was interested in Christianity, and I was curious about um, what was what was in this book, but I, I didn't understand it so much so that I can remember sitting in a, uh, a living room at Hunter's Ridge. It's an apartment complex uh, in Harrisonburg, and it's me and a bunch of other freshman guys, and um, there's a, a junior who's leading this freshman Bible study, and, and I don't remember what passage he said open to, but maybe it was John 3.16, you know, we'll just, for instance. I didn't know that meant the Gospel of John chapter 3, you know, colon, verse 16. I just didn't know. And those early years of becoming a Christian and and understanding what the Bible is about revealed to me, I came to understand that, that the whole Old Testament has a purpose for us to understand what the New Testament is saying. And as you look at the end of Malachi, um, and let's stand in honor of God's word, these verses are are reminding us of what the law and the prophets are pointing to with the arrival of the Savior. So uh, this is God's word, verses uh, 4 through 6 of chapter 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the hearing of these last verses of the Old Testament, that we would understand and and believe and, and see more clearly the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who has... All of your wisdom in him. And we pray that that wisdom would be ours this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And, uh, and if you find the outline helpful, we're going to be uh, following along there, talking about how every, every word is pointing to the, to the true word. Um, and, and we're going to begin by talking about the law of my servant Moses. Uh, so if, if you were... Again, you know, wrapping everything up, you're going to conclude the Old Testament, you're going to point to the revelation of Jesus. Why remind people of the law of Moses? I mean, ask yourself that question for a second here. Why would you take the time to say, hey, time out, remember, remember the law of Moses? Because, I mean, we've all been sort of accustomed to think of the 
the law of Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments is, well, that's, that's for, you know, Old Testament, that's for, that's for Israel, that's for the, you know, the Jewish religion or whatever, and, and that's the law. I mean, we're not, we're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace, we're saved by Jesus. And, and the law seems like, well, that, that's something else. And we don't really necessarily maybe know how remembering the law of Moses helps us understand the revelation of Jesus. I mean, do, do you know? Do you know how the, the law of Moses is really strategic in our grasp of grace? Um, if you were to ask, or were somebody to ask you, what's the purpose of the law, um, could you and I come up with an answer basically the way that, that Paul did? Because he, he asks that question in Galatians chapter 3. He's, he's posing the question on behalf of the church in Galatia. He says, what then was the purpose of the law? Why does God want us to remember the law of Moses? And he answers it in this way. He says, for if a law had been given that could impart life, that is, could you know, reconcile us to God, to give us what we hope for, by pursuing religion, if that could be had through the law, then righteousness certainly would have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, and so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the law was put in charge, here's the purpose, was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the role of the law is to show us our need, is to show us that we live lives that, that don't conform to the law. The law's got this incredibly high standard. You know, one of the prophets said that it pleased the law, it pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness, to make his law great and glorious. You know, high above us, and our best efforts to conform to the law really pale. You know, we just fall on our faces continually because we don't measure up. The law was put in place to lead us to Christ, to show you and me that, you know what, if, if I want to have a relationship with God, it's not going to be because of my own conformity, because of my own law-keeping. The only way I'm going to have a relationship with God is if he rescues me. If that salvation comes from outside of me, and that's what the law is pointing to, Jesus, the law is pointing us and leading us to Christ, so that by faith, believing in him, we could have what he accomplished through his law keeping. So here's how one author puts it. Alec Matier wrote, uh, Look to the Rock. Um, and he says that the law of the holy God is not a ladder of merit whereby sinners seek to come to God to win his favor and climb into his good books. He says his holy law is rather his appointed and required pattern of life for those who by redemption have been brought to him already, who already belong to him and are already in his good books. So the law of God is the lifestyle of the redeemed. So now that we have been brought into this relationship uh, with God through a Savior, through somebody who kept the law for us, then the law becomes the, the lifestyle of the redeemed. It teaches us 
hey, this is, the, this is what you were made for. This is what you were designed to do. And God says, I know you don't do it perfectly. That's why you have salvation through a Redeemer. But this is the best way, this is the consistent way to, to, to live life within my kingdom. And this is how you honor me. So we don't do it to measure up to him. But when God tells us, remember the law, he's doing it so that we can remember, that I can't do this on my own. I need, I need salvation from outside of me. I need a rescuer. And, uh, and that's why God wants us to remember the law of my servant Moses. And then uh, he goes on to say that there's the, the prophets too, and they have a part to play. See, I will send you, in verse 5, the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, that day of judgment. Everybody's going to be accountable for the ways that you know, we've committed treason in our heart. Um, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children uh, to their fathers. So, you know, you've got the law of Moses, you've got the prophets, you've got Elijah mentioned here. Why, when you wrap up the Old Testament, do we need to remember the prophets? I mean, the prophets are those, um, those guys that are kind of hard to read. You know, when I'm looking for comfort, when I want to just be reminded of the Lord's grace and love to me, it's the prophets aren't exactly the first books that I turn to. The prophets have some kind of difficult things to swallow. They say harsh things. I mean, they just they call it like it is. They don't hold back, and they and they're constantly pushing our buttons and exposing the places where we're hypocrites, where we're inconsistent, where we're loveless. So why do we need to remember the prophets? The prophets have this knack. <laughs> they're, they're like that faithful cardiologist who says, you know, I'm just going to tell it, I'm going to tell it to you straight. You know, we've done the EKG, we've taken the scans, we've done all the work, and you need a heart transplant. Your condition is, is so serious. You need, you need more than the quadruple bypass. I mean, we just need to, we need to put you under and we need to haul in a new and that's what the faithful prophets did. They weren't cowed by the fear of, of other people, trying to just say nice things, say religious things to make people feel better about a relationship with God that was actually just in wreckage and in ruin. And the prophets spoke for God and said, God, is, God knows your need. And he's providing a solution for your sin, and it comes in the form of a new heart. And he'll replace our heart of stone and put in its place a heart of flesh that's going to that's gonna beat for him, that's going to be tender toward the Lord, rather than this heart that is full of treason. right? And he's going to turn, he's going to reconcile us, not only to God, but to one another, the hearts of the fathers to the children and so on. You know, this is what is promised in the one who's to come. Uh, for Advent, we're going to be looking at the early chapters of the Gospels. And we're going to see the way that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this promise to send uh, the prophet Elijah, who will prepare God's people, who will pronounce the day of the Lord, that, that Jesus is coming. And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Uh, Luke quotes Malachi, you know. And so there's this seamlessness between the old Testament and the New Testament as John the Baptist is the voice of Elijah crying out in the wilderness saying prepare the way for the Lord and know that you need a Savior. Don't bristle at God saying you need a new heart. 
take your medicine. And along with the rest of those who, who repent and confess their sins and say, I need a Savior, then receive and be prepared for the Savior that would come. This is the role of the Law and the Prophets. This is the seamlessness of the Old Testament and the New Testament where everything is pointing to Jesus. So when Jesus comes, finally, when the Word becomes flesh and tabernacles among us, when He makes His dwelling among us, it really makes perfect sense that the one who has spoken all of these words from Genesis to Malachi would then come as the Word incarnate and have a consistent message. Not something radically new, not something altogether different, but something that's going to be the fulfillment of the Law and the Prophets. Because the Law and the Prophets are all pointing to Jesus. And this is what, this is what um, you know, people were discovering in John chapter 1 as Jesus is calling his disciples to himself. Um, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was found from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then um, you know, at the end of Jesus' life and ministry after his resurrection, he appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus says, this is what I told you while I was with you that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And he, and he opened their minds uh, so that they can understand the scriptures. You know, it's, it's confusing sometimes, honestly, to, to be in church, um, to, to read your Bibles, and, and, it, and it looks like the Old Testament's kind of this one way of relating to God, and the New Testament is a new way of relating to God. And you know, don't be confused. There's one way of relating to God. And the one way of relating to God is through faith in the one who is coming. But the Old Testament saints put their faith in the one who was promised. They didn't understand all, you know, that was going to come as Jesus came. You know, obviously they, a lot of them missed the, the main message. But they were looking ahead to one who was promised. They knew that there had to be blood to take away sin, they knew that there would be um, you know, a, a priest who would mediate and reconcile them to God. They knew he would be a, a king of some sorts. He would come with power and he would have authority. And you know, all of this was pointing to Jesus. And then Jesus came and now everything you know, builds on him. That, that, that he's our foundation. So that now as we look at Jesus, the one who is coming, everything is about him. You know, when Jesus was, uh, was here... There was one special moment. Um, he took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And at a very unique point in his public ministry, he led them up on a mountain. And any time a mountain you know, is involved in the Bible, you've got to pay attention. You see the word mountain, you know, ding, ding, ding. You know, something significant is about to happen. And so Peter, James, and John join Jesus on this mountain. And before they know it, um, the whole mountaintop is ablaze. Just brilliant light, blinding light. Um, Peter, James, and John are undone. They're, they're on their faces, you know. They're on their, their knees uh, in the dirt. And, um, and two other figures appear with Jesus. Do you know who those two other figures are? Moses and Elijah. 
the law and the prophets who are testifying to the centrality of Jesus. And there's this voice. Uh, a cloud comes and a voice. It's a lot like, you know, Sinai with Moses and the cloud and the voice and the, the word of God. And then, you know, you think about Elijah and Mount Carmel and a demonstration of God's power and authority against, you know, the false prophets and so on. And this voice says, this is my son whom I love In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to the word. Listen to the one who is the fullness of my words. And then what happens? Moses and Elijah disappear. And the only one that's left is Jesus. He is the central reality. He's the focal point. Moses and Elijah... They know their place. They take a back seat to Jesus who is center stage. You know, uh, it's funny, Peter has this random remark about, hey, this is fantastic. This is great. I know what we'll do. We'll build these shelters and we'll just worship. We'll stay in the presence of glory and transcendence. This is fantastic. This is better than any men's retreat or conference that I've ever been at. This is amazing. And Jesus says, well, you know, you're, you're kind of missing the point. Because what's important, you know, is basically what's happening at the base of the mountain. To listen to Jesus, the word of God incarnate, and then to heed his words as he brings the reality of the kingdom of God to bear on what's going on at the base of the mountain where the world is just ruined. The world is flooded with brokenness. The world is needy and it's chaotic and there's pain and there's sorrow and there's suffering. And Jesus is coming and he's asking us to follow him. And we're to listen to him. We're supposed to, to see that he's the fullness of everything that God has revealed. Do you remember, um, I know it's a, it's a trite, <laughs> overused illustration, but here's, I, I want to add another point to it. But all right, you know the, the vacation Bible school story or the Sunday school story where, you know, it's the first graders and the Sunday school teacher is talking about the Bible lesson, and she's using the illustration of this cute, fuzzy animal who um, gathers nuts, who holds it in, in, in the front hand, and, and it's got the bushy tail, and makes the chirping sound, and, you know, little Susie up front says, oh, I know, I know. I, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds a lot like a squirrel. And, you know, of course it's a squirrel. But little Susie has been conditioned that that the right answer is always Jesus. And Susie is absolutely right. The right answer is always Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with making an illustration or, or, or turning a corner in a lesson by talking about a squirrel or whatever. But, folks, any Bible study, any Bible lesson, any... Um, Sunday school class, any home group, any sermon, anything that has to do with what's in this book has got to come back to Jesus. That's what these words are all about. You all have a right. You, um, You have more than a right. I think it's a duty, actually. But if there's a Sunday where you don't hear from me or from whoever is in this pulpit, if you don't hear about the one who came and lived a life of perfect conformity to the law in our place, 
and lay down his life as a substitute for sinners like you and me, and then was buried and then was raised and ascends on high and offers salvation for all who place their hope in him. If you don't hear that, you have a duty to say, um, something's wrong. I need that accountability. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get in the weeds. It's easy to think that religion is about something else. And we forget the mystery and the beauty and the centrality of Jesus. Whatever we're doing, such that we have to listen. We have to get the main message of the Mount of Transfiguration. It's about Jesus. Listen to him. So Malachi, for instance, right? We've been studying Malachi. Malachi is full of all these questions and answers about, you know, how do we live with authenticity and integrity before God? And so the prophet is exposing their hypocrisy through all these different questions. Like, you know, God says, I have always loved you. And God's people are saying, well, prove it. How, do you, how have you always loved us? We have to go to Jesus to see the answer to how has God loved us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know that God loves us. You know, Malachi uh, goes on to say, how have we shown contempt for your name? Well, there's lots of names for God, but if we don't have a gospel grid to interpret Scripture, we're going to miss the main point, which is God's revelation of himself through Jesus. Jesus' name means the Lord saves. And then Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father that we are saved by the one who is gracious, and then he adopts us as his sons and daughters and invites us into that kind of loving relationship with them. So that becomes our grid to interpret that. What about, you know, Lord, you don't accept our sacrifices anymore. Well, God wasn't honoring their sacrifices because they weren't honoring God's oath in marriage, the covenant of marriage. And, you know, how do we learn how to do marriage? Well, there's lots of places in the Bible where you can learn how to, you know, be a good husband or be a good wife, but they're never going to make any sense unless you see the template for marriage in a relationship with Jesus who came and you know, laid down his life for his bride, and the bride's response to that. So over and over and over again, you march through Malachi or any book of the Bible, any passage of Scripture, it's got to point you to Jesus. God said, hey, you're robbing me. You know, you're not honoring me with your, with your money. And those people are like, what do you mean? How are we robbing you, God? You're never going to be generous until you know how generous God has been with you. You're always going to be wondering, can I trust God to take care of me if I give my money away? Well, unless you know that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Then you're always going to be wondering, unless you have the gospel to teach you the nature of God's giving heart. And over and over and over again, we have to use our minds. We have to to, to listen with our minds and, and do the work of seeing the gospel as the grid for interpreting scripture. So listen, I don't care where you are in your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, if you're not making a beeline for Jesus and how the gospel helps us understand that, you're not understanding what the Bible is teaching you. It's all about the word. The words of God are about the word. So we have to listen with our mind. But it's also possible, right, to, to get all of that Biblical interpretation, right? Certainly, you can go to seminary. You can even become a great pastor, and you can wow everybody with 
how everything's pointing to Jesus, and then just be a really not nice person. You can be a very unloving person. You can get everything right upstairs, but your heart can still be far from him. I mean, that was the complaint that the Pharisees, or that was Jesus' complaint with the Pharisees. These people honor me with their lips. They've memorized scripture. You know, they know the law of Moses, they know the prophets, you know, backwards and forwards, but their hearts are far from me. You can, you can know the message, but, but not have it touch your heart. And that was the message, right? I mean, if you really know the message, it has to touch your heart. Because it's a message of a new heart. Um, you know, we were changing our smoke detector batteries uh, because it was daylight savings time. You know, hint, hint, do that if you haven't. So you've got to change the smoke detector batteries. Why? Because if the battery dies, it's no good. It doesn't, it doesn't alert you. So if there's some kind of danger, if that day is coming, like we are told, that day of judgment is coming, we'll have to give an account. A dead heart isn't going to be aware of that day. But if we have a new heart, a heart that is tender toward the Lord, we know that our our safety is in Christ. And that he gives us that new heart by virtue of his grace. So we have to know and listen with our minds. We have to listen with our hearts and ask him to make us tender toward his voice and Help us to grieve over our sin. Help us to love what is pure. Help us to rejoice for the things that make Jesus happy. And teach us to grieve over the things that grieve him. Let me just wrap up by asking you to listen with your feet. Um, I know that sounds kind of weird. But we're supposed to listen to the word. And we have to listen with our feet, too. Because one of the unique things that Jesus said about his disciples uh, in John chapter 10, he said, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So if we're listening to his voice, then we're also going to be following him. They, they just go hand in glove. You can't be listening to Jesus and, and not following him as, as a sheep follows the good shepherd. So, you know, how, how well are we following him? How, how well are you following him? We who are here to, to listen to, to the word, to listen to God's words, the rest of this week, are you going to be following the one who is speaking? Are you going to follow him as he goes and, and he feeds the hungry. He cares about the hungry. And if we're listening to his voice, we're going to be following him and and we're going to be concerned about those who don't have enough to eat as well. And the one who is speaking is there and he's caring for the fatherless. And are we going to be following him with our feet to care for the fatherless? And he's going to be taking care and visiting those who are sick and who are in prison. And our good shepherd is going to those places and are, are we following him as we, as we listen to his voice? As he goes and, and he loves his enemies and as he pursues reconciliation with those who are difficult to love, are you going to do the same? How many of you are going to go to visit with family and friends this Thanksgiving who are going to be hard to love? Are, are you going to love with your feet? Are you going to seek reconciliation? Are you going to try to to put up with you know, a lot of junk, but do it in a way that is loving and is forgiving. You know, 
How many of you are going to love and, and honor those that you're with by doing what Jesus does when he shares the gospel with those that he's around? You're going to listen with your feet and, in that sense, you know, with your mouth. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And are you going to have the courage to open your mouth if the time is right and that door opens and God says, you're the ambassador now. Share the good news. Maybe that's with your family this week. Maybe it's with your neighbors, you know, this month. Maybe it's with the nations. You know, Jamie's here and he's telling us about how we can partner with MTW, our denomination's mission organization, with our sister church in Lynchburg, to go and share the gospel with millions of people in Spain that don't have a clue about the meaning of this book. But it all points to the Word who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we follow him. Jesus, please lead us. Um, lead us as we seek to follow you with integrity, with consistency. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the book of Malachi to figure out how our lives can be lived more in conformity with your kingdom. And we know that's only going to happen through faith and repentance. Um, it's only going to happen as we learn to love as you have first loved us. And so we thank you for your law. We thank you for your prophets, how they show us the need for a Savior. How they show us the reality of Jesus, who came and lived that law and kept it for us, and who gives us a new heart so that we can, um, so we can please you, so that we can love you. Lord, use our, our new hearts, use our understanding of the revelation of Jesus so that uh, we can bring you glory as we minister to those around us and as we use our feet uh, to follow you, uh, to listen to your voice, and as your disciples to go where you lead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.